podcast is brought to you by Welcome all you QT faithful to your third Tarantino Bible study, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the major scenes from our movie of the month. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott K., and with this being the birth month of our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino, it seems only fitting that this month's Bible study is the most Tarantino-like episode we've had to date. For starters, it was recorded out of sequence. That's right, four episodes that will follow this one were recorded first. Proclamations I made on them, like having our first new special guest on the Bible study, are no longer true. So things you will hear on upcoming episodes later this month and in April are no longer factual. Case in point, nine days from now, you will listen to our special Tarantino birthday celebration, where I introduce my special guest as making his third appearance to the show, when in fact today, he is now making his fourth. And contrary to what you'll hear me say on your fourth Tarantino Bible study, he is now the second, yet first special guest to appear on the Bible study. I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Steve Smith of the Way Past Cool Podcast. It is my genuine pleasure to once again welcome him back, as together we'll be taking a deeper dive into the Gospel of Tarantino as we turn to the Book of Natural Born Killers, Chapter 3, The Isle of Mallory Scene. Welcome back, Mr. Smith, and may Tarantino be with you always. Hello, Scott, and hello, everybody. Welcome to your fourth, yet third... (laughs) No, well, yeah, we're all kind of, we're in a pop fiction-esque... We are absolutely in a pop fiction (laughs) situation. It is except a very I'm not, interesting. Except I'm not reading Modesty Glaze on the toilet. Well, yes, but you may <laughs> die mid-episode, so we don't know. So there could be a I've little, n- I've little, nearly little di- shift. I've nearly died on the toilet many times. <laughs> but that's, an, but that's, a whole, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yes, so originally uh, Mr. LaPlante, who had been doing the Bible studies with me, was going to be on it. He was unable to. As we've mentioned in other uh, Bible studies, his family's getting closer to multiplying. So it looks like I'm going to be doing more and more special guests on the Bible study. I had one for uh, Pulp Fiction, which was already decided I was going to do that. And then I was like, you know what? Who can I get? Why not Steve Smith? This is Steve Smith's month. You are here for the entire month of March. You're doing it all. You've done the main podcast. You're doing this Bible study. You helped me out with the Tarantino <laughs> celebration. This is hey. this is your month, and it comes. It's basically your birthday month because you were born on the last day of February. Oh, so you right, are now yeah. fifty. So this is how we celebrate your oh, birthday. Oh man, that, and that Tarantino's. Hurt. That hurt to hear that. 
Oh man, that crushed me. I mean, it's got to be that heavy for Tarantino as well. You know, he's oh, yeah. hey, fifty nine at the end of the month. That's Oof. yeah. And like we said, he was twenty nine when Reservoir Dogs came out. He was twenty nine years old. He has now doubled his life from that moment. Uh, I think I'd only just learned to tie my shoelaces when I was twenty nine. So what an accomplishment! And now you're at the age <laughs> where you're just going to wear Velcro anyway. So it doesn't oh, matter. Oh man, yeah, it's elasticated trousers for me. Before we jump into this <laughs> lovely scene, a question for you. Now that you are of the age of 50, over there in the UK, do you have your older, or I should say middle-aged to older white man gear like we have here in America, which is very much, it seems like uh, rope belts and uh, New Balance, white New Balance shoes or white Nikes, and, and like uh, you've got your f- cellular phone, as you call mobile phone, on like a, in a case on the belt. Like, do you have that kind of like old man <laughs> outfit that <laughs> is prevalent here in America? Well, well, I think that's that may be a cultural difference, although... I did just buy myself a pair of white and grey Nike Air Jordans. So maybe... You're you're a little more fashionable. Well, you know, maybe some of it is rubbed off on me, maybe. But I think I'm just a very immature person. I'm going to be 30 till I die. Yes, I I know that I'm I'm in my late 40s, mid to late 40s now, and I still feel like I'm in my mid-20s. Mentally, I feel like I'm in my mid-20s. Physically, my body reminds me that, no, you're in your mid-40s. But still... Yeah, I think we may be be like that first generation of people who never really grow up. I agree with you. (laughs) Or or maybe it's just me. (laughs) No, no, I agree with you. My father, when he was 46, suit, tie, very business-like, you know, very business-like profession. Me, complete opposite. Jeans, T-shirts, sweatshirt, you know, like... I've got a podcast talking about movies. Like my father was in radio, but I don't think he would have he'd have gone this route. Like he's. Do you know what? I'm 50 years old and I don't own a pair of shoes. I, know. I, I think own... I have maybe one or two pairs of dress shoes that I wear. I think for like either if I get invited to a wedding or a funeral. Like, they're my wedding slash yeah, funeral yeah. shoes. That's it. That's what suits are for. That is what suits are for. Yes. Weddings. Or court appearances. Yes. However, I but let's not go there. I used to have, but I think I need to go back to. I got to get another Reservoir Dogs slash Pulp Fiction. The costume wow. of the Reservoir Dogs. I need one of those. Yeah, again. we all need. We all need one of those. We all need one of those. Yeah. I think I'm going to be buried that way too. I think that's exactly how I want to be buried. Or do you want blood outfit? all over? Exactly. Do you want blood all over the shirt as well? Well, you know, it's you know, you never know how I'm going to go out. I didn't say how I'm going to die. Pair of sunglasses be. on. <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. That'd be that'd be a sight for people to see. Yeah. Yeah, either that or they have to dress me like Clarence from True Romance. Just a, a full bright red Hawaiian shirt, the Elvis yeah. glasses, just a whole big go fuck you to the world. It's what he would have wanted. That's what exactly, I exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, my, it's my, the last time you get to see me. I want to be remembered. And now it's time to open your Tarantino Bibles to the book of Natural Born Killers, chapter 3. So we are here to talk about the Isle of Malarcene, which we both esponged upon quite a bit. In the main episode that now people are listening to two weeks after, which we did almost a month ago together. Well, actually, all three weeks ago together. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was yeah. sooner. Yeah, about two or three weeks ago we, we, yeah, we got yeah. on together. I absolutely fell in love with the scene again when we talked about it and then rewatching it again to prepare for this. I get pure joy 
out of everything Rodney Dangerfield says and every way he says it. He goes from it being funny to sinister. You know, like he really crosses a tough line there when one minute he's like, he's being funny. What job? You know what I mean? I'm on the board. He's being funny. And then the next, like, go upstairs and get real clean. He's just kind of like, it goes from like, you know, Al Bundy to Ted Bundy in like, you know, a matter of a second or two. In fact, Rodney Dangerfield wrote all the filthy stuff his character said. Oliver Stone didn't give the comedian a script. He simply told Dangerfield he was going to play the father from hell. Yeah, good choice, good choice of words there, yeah. Yeah, and like, um, that's the way that Oliver Stone films that and puts that sort of, embeds that tone in there where it'll cut to black and white and you'll get that like drone sound, that kind of bassy yes. sort of like, when when you get like the close-up, that's like a Sergio yes. Leone type close-up yes. of like Roger. Rodney Dangerfield's eyes, you know what I mean? It's just real sinister. According to Oliver Stone, Rodney Dangerfield didn't understand the film during shooting and didn't understand what Stone was trying to do by shooting such a dark subject as a father molesting his daughter in the style of a 1950s sitcom. As such, he found it very difficult to perform his part. However, Stone was delighted that when the film came out, Dangerfield's performance was hailed as one of the movie's strongest points. When I reached for this, he called it intra-editing. So whenever we see it go to black and white or like, you know, it kind of sometimes cuts to those insert shots that yeah. is basically him saying how the characters are thinking so that's like the that's yeah, like, like an inner monologue yeah so like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. one of the first notices of that is the very opening scene of the movie where he's ordering the key lime pie and you have yeah. the, the girl saying it and then she says it in a different way which is very flirtatious yes. so as he was describing it it was like this is how she was thinking she was like trying to flirt with him and this is what she wanted to say to him so in her head she wanted to say this but she just said it the way she said it and then when I can't remember the actor's name but I know him the best as the manager from Major League <laughs> I fucking love him but when he Come plays on. the father of that uh, those two three redneck guys that come walking in and end up getting their fucking asses handed to him by Mallory. He looks at uh, Woody's character and he says, you know, something about that's isn't that some nice pussy or whatever. And then we cut to that shot of Woody Harrelson, like blood running down his face. Right. Yeah. So that was his inner, like his inner thought of like, this is how what this guy just said about his wife makes him feel. So when we get those moments in this scene where, you know, one minute, you know, it's funny. We've got the laugh track to all of a sudden it's like dark. It's either it's in one of the characters. So it could be in Mallory's mind or it's in the father's mind. This is how he says things. Most likely it's Mallory's mind of her remembering how her father has tormented her for who knows how many years. I think it's a pretty cool editing choice. It's definitely something that's not in Tarantino's script that Tarantino wouldn't have done. And as we talked about on the main podcast for this episode, uh, for this movie, I really do like the choices he's made. I really, it's not what a Tarantino would have done, but I think in his hands, he did a fantastic job and really made this movie something completely different. Because as I was also researching, this is like, if you go back a couple of years, this is like rated as one of the most dangerous movies of the 90s, one of the most controversial movies of all time. Like, there's a lot that Oliver Stone did to uh, take Tarantino's script and make it something even I don't think Tarantino himself could have ever imagined the possibility for this film to be, especially this scene. Yeah, well, I think um, I know I can remember from the time Tarantino was quite almost against the film. Oh, yes, very, very much so. He was vocally sort of dismissive of the film. But I think that was just a that was just a learning lesson for him, really. Like, you know, you sell, yeah, you sell your script, that's... Man, it's not yours anymore, you know? That's kind of how it goes. And um, so, I, 
But I think he kind. I think I heard of him heard much later that he kind of kind of softened on it because they allowed him to publish the original script. It is well documented that Quentin Tarantino claimed to hate the final version of this film. That is, up until he met Johnny Cash in an elevator once. Cash told him that both he and his wife June were fans, and they especially liked this movie. This interaction with Johnny Cash and the fact that they allowed him to publish his original screenplay seemed to help him get past the whole thing. And again, I think I even said on our on the original podcast that you and I were both did that I, I disagree with him. I completely disagree with him. Like, it's a shame that he would say this about a movie he wrote. Um, I understand that it was taken a completely different tone than he wanted it. But at the end of the day, you know, Oliver Stone did a great job with this film. And like we said, it holds up. And this scene would never have come to life. I, this was not written in the original screenplay for it there to it be exist. this Yeah, one. it wouldn't no. exist about Oliver Stone. And, I, and I'm sure I, I, I saw an interview of Oliver Stone where they'd kind of made amends with each You know, they'd kind of chilled with each other. You know, they became friends sort of eventually, you know. But Tarantino, I remember he, was, he wasn't happy with the film. But then, you know, he'd been hired to mess around with other people's scripts. So he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been so precious about it. And, you know, I think also, as we were talking about age, he was in his late 20s, early 30s. So, you know, he's young, brash, cocky, yeah. just coming in. He doesn't have the foresight of now being, you know, down the road where he is now. He's not at 59. If this happened later down, he might look at it and go, you know, that's actually a pretty damn good movie because it has stayed the test of time, like we said on, you know, on the Tour Killers exactly. episode, is that this really has lasted almost coming up on 30 years in another two years. Wow. It hurts yeah. every time to say yeah. that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me about it. Yeah, I know. So, um, but the scene... You can't compare. I, I can't compare it to anything I've seen before. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I knew what it, it was referencing. It was like a cross between, like, you know, obviously, I love Lucy because it's I love Mallory. But yep. as you pointed out, you know, like the whole marriage of children. Thing. Yeah, it has like an I love Lucy slash honeymooner slash married with children vibe to yeah. it. Yeah, but see, married with children in the UK, it wasn't a popular show in over here. And it was a late night show over here. And I can understand that. I don't know about the No, it was on regular television. I think it was it was on a Sunday night on Fox. Yeah. And I think it yeah. was eight or nine o'clock time slot. Okay. And it was a popular show. Married with Children aired on Fox from nineteen eighty seven until nineteen ninety seven, becoming the longest ever running sitcom for the network. The very on the nose portrayal of middle class white America, especially men, as being misogynistic, racist, and just plain old ignorant, still rings true today, some twenty five years later. A show that truly helped inspire this scene. Yeah, in the UK it was on at like midnight. I get that because it was different. Like we've said, like what this movie does, even with the scene, is it really turns a mirror on what American life really was like for a lot of people. Now, obviously, yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not about to break into some, they're coming to America. So, you know, we're not about to oh, fly on. a flag. But, Sing it. you know, as Americans like to believe and is that, you know, a lot of people want to come to America. They want the American experience. And it's sold through a lot of times through our movies, through our TV, through different things. And a lot of times it's packaged nicely and it's shiny. And, you know, we give it to be this glorious thing that it's not always that way. The American dream does not always work that way for everybody. And not only does this movie kind of show that, but I think shows like Married with Children kind of taking down what everyone's thought process was of the American family, of the American white family of being like silver spoons and all this other stuff. Like it, they weren't always rich and affluent. It was more poor white trash. In a way, didn't Bill Cosby single-handedly do that himself? Meaning, you know, meaning, you know, you've got him He's representing 
Well, yes, he's representing well, you know, a whole other uh, aspect of, of American television or American society that we had not seen. Yeah, and it turns out he was a goddamn. Well, yes, who he was really is a piece of shit. That's what I'm saying. But, but what he was, you know, but what his show was doing. Yeah, he's representing the sort of family values that we all kind of like admire and respect and would, you know, would want to be. And, then and at the end of the day, he's real Ed Wilson. He's really Rodney Dangerfield's character from exactly. fucking this movie. Yeah, so he's kind of single handedly without even realizing that he's kind of like. Um, subliminally sort of commenting on himself, which is just totally bizarre, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, so, yeah, Married with Children, it was a late-night show. It was, like, on a Friday night at, like, midnight or 11.30, and no one I knew, I, I think, like, I had one, one friend who watched it as well. It, well. it probably, to a lot of people, is still completely unknown over here, which is, you know, kind of strange. Well, I think it's also just the way both iterations of The Office, the American version and, obviously, the original yeah. version from the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they both are great on their own laurels, but I think they also are tailored to the audiences that they're tailored to. Yeah, which is fair enough. I, I think I think some of the, the com- comedic beats that work, I enjoy uh, British comedy. I, I love Ricky Gervais. I love the stuff he does. I watch a lot yeah. of the stuff he's made. He's fantastic. I do like the IT crowd or the IT crowd. I'm sorry, you know, this would be the yeah. IT. But I love that yeah. stuff. But again, it, it's a different type of humor than of a course, lot of yeah, Americans yeah. are used to. And it's vice cultural, versa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cultural, vice versa. Cultural differences. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people will see the American office and you might not like it as much, but there's a lot more Americanized jokes in it that hit more here than obviously would for a UK audience and vice versa. Well, yeah, it has to be it has to be tailored to your yeah, absolutely. obviously. It has to yeah, no, that's understandable. So that's yeah. why probably the honeymoon or the honeymoons, uh, Married with Children didn't land uh, across the sea like it did here in America because it was very, very realistic for a lot of people. It was like we had Roseanne over here before she went off the deep end but her original show was a very similar it was more of they were starting to break away from like silver spoons and the shows of the 80s yeah more blue collar as opposed to like these well-to-do you know families who always you know made the right choices and they always you know had all the money and not everyone was like that you know and so it was more familiar for a lot of people to see themselves in a Roseanne type of show or in the Married with Children, which is why when you see this great scene of I Love Mallory, it flips it all and says it's like basically takes where Roseanne, which is a little more safe, and where Married with Children were kind of headed towards. Obviously, yeah. the pedophile, pedophilia within the family and incest, they weren't jumping those sharks, but they, you know they were leaning more towards like there's a darker edge. There's a deeper, darker look at what American life really is for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's not this shiny, you know, everything's wrapped up in a nice, neat boat at the end of a thirty-minute show. Yeah, but it is it is sophisticated in the way that it, it really does touch on them little, just the kind of nuances that you'd get in a in a sitcom. Like, because Mallory's very cutesy, isn't she? Do you know oh, what yes. I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, She's and, playing that young, fun girl from whatever, you know, the young teen, eighteen, but which is what makes her, you know, because she's all, you know, especially when Mickey turns up, she's like giving him the googly eyes, and you know, and that's all like our room, and you know, you got the audience ooing and ahhing and all that. And here's some stuff that we probably haven't thought of. How old is Mallory supposed to be? when this show happens and how old is Mickey's character supposed to be? Cause there's definitely a little bit of, um, you know, he we've already got, older, yeah. he does he we've got a little older. bit of raping, we definitely got some incest rape going on. And now we've got a little bit of statutory rape over here in America going on Poss- as well. Possibly. 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 Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> meat man wait till I get my hands on that meat man cocksucker. I could say that all day long, but and that's another. <laughs> but yeah, you should you just know, walk like, into a deli 
over there and just say that. <laughs> just come in. You want to speak to the manager? <laughs> That's what you just say. Wait till yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know. So it goes between like her being like a, just a typical teenager and the dad's being this dirtbag, basically just this. That's putting it politely. I'm trying to think of the right word, but he's just a complete nut bar, you know. And like, but I think well, obviously it's a comment on that little that small segment is. It's sort of like the whole point of the film in, well, not the whole point of the film, but just saying that, you know, if you've got children and you're yelling homophobic, sexist, racist stuff at your TV, you know, obviously the problem is that you're all them things, but that's going to rub off on on your children. Absolutely. It, it imprints on them. Yep. So it's a different, that's, that's just another form of child abuse. That, Absolutely. Let, alone, let alone the physical stuff that's been going on that we're made aware of. It's funny how it does manage to sort of go between the two. You know, when Mickey brings the when he when he brings the delivery of meat into the house, and, <laughs> the, and the mum wanders off, doesn't she? Saying, "I need to have a word with my husband." Yes, played by a great Edie McClurg. She is absolutely fantastic. From, from so many things like yes. Ferris Bueller. And, yep, she's oh, she's like so this great little character actress. Yeah, literally in every sort of probably eighties John yeah. Hughes film and all that stuff. You know, so she's doing the whole wait till I need to talk to my husband and you know and, and all this stuff and and he, even Rodney Dangerfield's comments on beating the shit out of his wife. I'm sure it's yeah, he's like, how dare you say that for your mother? I'm gonna yeah kick the shit out of you like I do her. You know, it's, it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal stuff. You know, and um, but the, yeah, so it's kind of saying you know what chance have these kids got? And you know, I think um, Oliver Stone himself because I think the kid is his kid, isn't it? It's actually Oliver Stone's son, I think. He plays the plays Mallory's brother, and uh, who has the the kiss makeup on? <laughs> yeah. So what? So, so what I'm saying is, I, I'm 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 sure that wasn't lost on him, like being a being a dad himself, and you know. Yeah, absolutely. His, his, his son was only quite young, and he must have been like seven or eight when. Yeah. I would imagine he's he's aware of it, and obviously, I think that's what the film is sort of what the film is saying and what Oliver Stone is saying is, look, you know, not to quote Whitney Houston, but, you know, children, children they are the future. future. Yes. If we, te- if we teach them well, you know. Yes. Not just the Whitney <laughs> so, Houston, but also Mr. Randy Watson sings Randy that as Watson. well. Oh, from wow. Coming to America, Randy Watson and Sexual Chocolate. <laughs> sexual Chocolate. <laughs> I love that name. That's, a, oh, that's amazing. But, yeah, so, so, yeah, it's doing this thing where you can read it. It's just a fun sequence. You know, just a subversive kind of version. Well, it's of a very children. satirical but, there, but tame yeah, way yeah. to say, "Hey, Mallory's life is like this, and this is how this is how we meet Mallory." Obviously, in the opening scene, but this is how we get to know well, this yeah. is Mallory's uh, origin Backstory. story, so so to speak. Yeah, but told in this like Looney Tunes comic. Yeah, kind it's of, like, oh hey, like, it's I Love Lucy meets the Honeymooners, and oh, yeah, it's gonna it's just be all, fun yeah, and the laugh there, track. You know, the, yeah, like yeah, the canned laughter and the and the ooze and the ass and the kind of and there's and there's sound effects as well. Yes, like when he goes, oh, you look like, and he burps and it's like, Bleh, you know, it's just... yeah. But also, but the funny thing I know, I think because not all the swearing is only yeah, very few swearing is cut out. Yeah, yeah. But so you get kind of both, which is mm-hmm. which is really odd. How yep. like you'll say fuck one minute and that'll be that'll be censored out the next minute. You know, it's just kind of like this weird mad cat. And you know, obviously, it's got that kind of. Like third generation video copy quality yep. as well. In fact, Oliverstone used 18 different film formats on this movie, and the film contains nearly 3,000 cuts. And it slowly ramps up as the scene goes on, right. up until we get to meet even Mickey when he comes in. Yeah. And it's got the great, you know, he kicks the door open and he's got the whole swagger and everyone's clapping that he showed up and, you know. Yeah. 
It's kind of like the yeah, the, it's kind of like Joni loves Charlie. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, like, yeah. Or he's yeah, like the Fonz. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hey, oh, the, the Fonz. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how hey, you doing? Hey, oh, oh, hey, oh, oh. That's not Canada. That's not Canada. But yeah, so he shows up and um, and he's kind of like flat. That's quite sort of like um, there is an element of sleaze to the flat between him and oh, Mallory. Absolutely. She's like, do you like do you like, do you like me? me? And she's like, <laughs> and she's like. And she's like, I might do, you know. That's <laughs> kind of like, what? But yeah, you know, so um, yeah, so you've got all these kind of weird little moments and looks, and it's kind of a barrage of all these like sitcom tropes, basically. Well, it's also interesting because this scene lasts maybe about four minutes because what ends up happening is obviously we get the whole introduction of them as the table scene starts and she comes down and, you know, says something to him and how's work. He's like, what work? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it builds and then we, as the scene gets to the middle of that scene, he, he does the whole groping. Legend has it that Rodney Dangerfield refused to shoot the brief black and white shot in which Mallory's father gropes her buttocks, either out of respect for his co-star or because he felt it was too disturbing and that the hands seen on screen do not belong to him at all. In fact, the hands and the buttocks in this shot belong to body doubles. Accounts vary as to whether Rodney Dangerfield, Juliette Lewis, or both refused to film the scene, if the scene was a last-minute addition for which one or both were unavailable, or if it was always intended to use doubles. And the whole sexual get upstairs and make sure you're washed, and then he comes back to the table and he's talking to his son, she won't see my face for an hour, you know what I mean? And the son's like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Exactly. And then, all of a sudden, Mickey shows up and the whole thing, and it ends that part when, you know, they, they go off and he's like, call the cops, that me, you know, me, yeah. me cocksucker. <laughs> I break her in and he takes her out. This is so bad. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, because that's like the commercial break, isn't it? We get another time back from them, but it's weird. Yeah. When we go back to seeing him when he comes out of jail, it's still shot the same, but we don't have any more of the sitcom moments with it anymore. Because what I was going to say is, obviously, that scene, you know, it's four minutes long, but the whole sequence itself is more like about 10 minutes because it obviously then cuts to Mickey being in jail. Yep, and then she comes and Ma- to visit and Mallory him. Visit- yeah, yeah, and he escapes and rides into yep. the tornado. Yep, rides to the tornado. Um, yeah, but then it, when it goes back, it's like a... Do you know what it really reminded me of? Um, it kind of reminded me of... It, it's sort of shot like a Universal Monsters kind of movie because it's all black and white. Yeah, and the yeah. Music, and, the, and the music is really quite dramatic. Yes, and old school, and it becomes like this horror movie, which obviously is the intention, really, because this is where, well, because this is where Mallory finds out what Mickey is really like. Yes, and she and she's getting off on it. She and not just that, in. but she finds, yeah, she suddenly becomes who she really is. Like she suddenly, yeah, exactly. this is who she is as well. Like it's it's released in her. Yeah, she no longer has the fear of her father. Once they kill him in the fish yeah. tank and they drown him, and they go upstairs and then they set poor they tie him up. They, they, yeah, they yeah they tie him and set her on fire. And then, but 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 Mallory's in on the whole thing. You know, she's like mm-hmm. she's not watching. She's not watching. She's not standing by watching Mickey do it, thinking, "What am I getting into?" She's in this. She's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's stars, partnered you know? in crime. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. She's the bond to his Clyde. Absolutely. And, you know, I was all, I can remember thinking, shit, do they kill the son? Do they kill her brother? Too? No, because I remember he comes out yeah, and yeah. she says something yeah, about yeah. you're free or go whatever. And then that's when we get the laugh. That's when all of a sudden, it, like, there's the clap. Like, it's the end of the little show we just watched. Because then there is, when she the says that. Yeah, they got a yeah, credit and there's a little clap sequence. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to pause those credits, but I'm not sure they're, they're actual fast. credits. No, they're fast as shit. They yeah, fly yeah, no, I, I try, I try, but I think then that's deliberately like blurry. So yeah. there's not, they're not real credits. That's just like a visual 
special, you know, visual yep. effects sort of thing. This is like you say, where they've found each other, you know. Yeah. They're, that's kindred, vengeance. Yeah, kindred spirits. It's kind spirits. of vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they're, they're, they're sort of, I know we're talking about one scene in particular, but, you know, we don't really find out about Mickey's backstory so much later. Yeah, and his but is we sort of find as his tragic. Too... No, but we don't yeah. we don't get the nice little satirical no, family American rom com look at it, you know, which hers is extremely dark. But I think he found oh, yeah, a way yeah. to handle incest and abuse in a way where almost like almost like the way the way people deal with it. Anyways, they don't they it's under the surface and they don't want to acknowledge it, so they. They kind of acknowledge it through satirical humor. Yeah, do, dare I use the term palatable? You know, it, yeah, it's just done in a way much like I mean, much like much like um, Tarantino does in Kill Bill with um, Oranishi that goes to animation. Yes, yes, goes yeah because obviously whole, yep. yeah we know yeah yeah, yeah that's, no, you're that's right. for another time. But yeah, so you know what Oliver Stone does. You know, I'm not a hundred percent sold on Oliver Stone, but I'm aware. You know, it's kind of like I know he's a genius. But not all of his stuff is for me, you know. No, that, that's um, perfectly fair. I, I'm in the same yeah, boat as you. You know, kind of like I don't really like the tune, and I, there's a lot of stuff. I do, but then I, I, I love JFK big time. I think that's a masterpiece, you know, in its own way. And you know, he wrote. So I said that about him writing Scarface yep. and stuff. So I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly aware of what a genius the guy is, but just not all his stuff suits me that much. But this is just eventually became. My cup of tea, you know. This. Yeah, no, I well, like I said when we got into this month. This was my worried month. This was the one I thought was shit. We're gonna find out, and I think I those of people who have saw the posts I put on uh, the socials is I put this will separate the Tarantino diehards from just the Tarantino fans. Whoever's a yeah. diehard of his stuff, this stuff they'll get into, and yeah. those who don't, which is fair, they'll bypass Natural Born Killers and they'll come back and join us in April when we do Pulp Fiction. You know, which is the most accessible movie. For for fandom to start with anyways. And, you know, there was a time in my life when I would have been more of a, not, I wouldn't say casual, but I just mean, you know, I'm watching things like Pulp Fiction, you know, Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, Natural Killers just didn't suit that level of cinema at that time for me. So it didn't work for me quite that well. But over time, you think, man, you know, Oliver Stone was just firing on all cylinders, you know? Yeah, and he was ahead of his time with his film, like we said on the uh, uh, absolutely. MBK yeah, yeah, episode. You know, I mean, this has lasted 20, 30 years now. I'm saying this. What The main reason I'm saying this is because over the last 20 or so years, dare I say 30 years, oh, God, I've watched Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, you know, all these films so many times, but I hadn't watched Natural Killers as much. That's why I'm so aware and so sort of my memory of it is so clear, isn't it? Yeah, man, you know, if, if I really would have felt so strongly about it, I would have watched it more times than I have. But watching it again for, for your episode, man, that just changed yeah. my... I, I, did I agree with one, you. did a complete 180 on it, and I'm like, man, this is crazy shit. This is visually just an explosion of just yeah. styles and ideas and techniques, you know? So, yeah, and, then that, and like you say, this one sequence, which is... I mean, we're talking about four minutes, Really? This sequence was what really endeared me to going like, I'm going to enjoy watching this again because I'd forgotten about this sequence until we had to do the rewatch for the episode. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, 
Absolutely loved it. Everything about it, from Rodney Dangerfield, which this was his only dramatic performance in film. Right. He has been in other movies, but he's always been doing comedy, you know, whether it's the Caddyshacks, whether it's the um, the Back to School. Back you know, to School. Those, those movies, he was always... That's what I call marine biology. Yeah, I he's, remember. You know, he's, he's, always, he's basically Rodney Dangerfield in real life. He's like, hey, he was, my comedy yeah. routine, oh, I'm going to do it on, uh, I'm going to do it for you right here. I knew that he was a stand-up comedian, or I would say... Not to speak for my entire country, but I feel like we knew he was a stand-up comedian. But we'd probably only seen him in Caddyshack from Back to School. Which is fair. I would say he's like the godfather of that edgy comedy. You know, his comedy started edgy, and I think it opened the door for the likes of... Well, Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay, and everyone after Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. he wasn't yeah. exactly swearing all the time, but he just had that delivery and that no respect, and he had such great lines. Yeah, I remember seeing an interview with Eddie Murphy, and um, Rodney Dangerfield had given Eddie Murphy a spot at his club, and after Eddie Murphy did his bit Rodney Dangerfield said you need to cut the swearing out and then about five years later they bumped bumped into each other in a club in the toilets and and Rodney Dangerfield just looked at him and went who knew (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck do I know you know what I mean but yeah so we sort of knew who he was but his stuff hadn't been on our tv channels over here you know but we just knew who he was because of obviously Caddyshack was you know yeah, Caddyshack was big. Yeah, uh, a cult classic, and uh, and in the mid, uh, I guess that was mid eighties that um, Back to School came out. That was yep. a that was a video kind of yep. state. That was one of the staples. You'd, yeah, you'd rent. You know, you know, you'd go to the store. You'd rent that more, more than once because that was a good. Who doesn't want to see Rodney Dangerfield on a diving team? In a jacuzzi. <laughs> it's just a bit where he's in, I think I think he's in a jacuzzi with two hot girls and this old woman comes in. He goes, hey, have you met my nieces? <laughs> That's just like, oh, crazy, uh, crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he makes that, he makes that he scene. He is the whole reason the scene works. His ability yeah. to take the comedy and know his comedy and then take it to a darker edge to really take the dark edge and love yeah, it. Yeah, he, I mean, he could have spoiled it. He could have been, you know, like he could have gone more comedic. Cause you know, when he said when his delivery, what job, you know, I'm out of work. You know, it's, it's that he's, you know, fixing this Ty Rodney Dangerfield moment. But as he starts to get, you're not fucking going anywhere. You don't tell me shit. And then he starts to get in the face. You get up thinking nice and clean. It's a moment and side we had never seen or heard of Rodney Dangerfield, not needing his comedy. And he loses that. I got no respect kind of uh, attitude yeah. when he gets, into that, you know, as that scene goes on, he goes from, you know, like he's on stage doing a little bit of vaudeville to all of a sudden, like the curtains opened up and you can actually see into your neighbor's house and now you're seeing the real person who this Ed Wilson is yeah. that he plays. And really, as well, he's very good in the scene as well. That's not like genius he's just there. The scene. No, I mean, it's not just like, in that scene. Yeah, it's not just stunt casting where, no, you know, he's there because he's just Rodney Dangerfield, blah, blah, blah. He's actually very good in the scene as well. You know, he, he does a brilliant job. Oh, him balancing the, you know, comedy to dark, he does a great job because, you know, he, one of your favorite lines. Wait till I get my hands on that meat man <laughs> Wait till I get my hands on that meat man cocksucker. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah, oh, it's just a brilliant. Oliver Stone's ability to turn what Tarantino written into what would be like an epic Bonnie and Clyde type movie into showing that, like, yes, these people are monsters, but they were created. You know, they're the Frankenstein monsters of these people who created them. Like, yeah, and, this, yeah. and this is what happens when left 
left unchecked, left you know to their own devices, they are going to turn yeah, yeah. this way. So while we want to blame them for everything, and they are you know adults and make their own choices, a lot of it comes from, as you're saying, the imprinting that their parents did on them when they were younger. Yeah. With the stuff that they said and did to them. It's just, is it any surprise that there's people going around doing this when no. they've had these people yeah. try well guiding them you know <laughs> yeah yeah there's a hell of a lot more going on in those four minutes than meets the eye absolutely but you can watch it i guess just a bit of fun as well oh it's gloriously done well that's that's the level of intelligence you're dealing with Rob stuff yes. is yeah on base level you can just enjoy it as a yeah. pastiche and sort of satire but at the same time, in them four minutes, it's saying a hell of a lot. Oh, not just about the character. About where things were headed. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it's yeah, commenting yeah. on America as it was. It's commenting how, you know, we're being served certain shows to say that this is what we think America's like. But here's the real yeah. reality of what, for most people, America, you know, their family life is like. I mean, in a way, not just America, but treat your children respectfully, you know. You talk about respect. That's his line, obviously, is, you know. They give the respect, you I know, and respect. all that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, children should be brought up to respect their elders, but not when their elders are pieces of shit. I know. And yeah. then, and like you say, the whole Mickey Mallory killing spree is, look what, what chance did they have? Exactly. It's interesting because Woody Harrelson was cast by Oliver Stone because he had, as Oliver said to him, a look of violence in his eyes. And this is Woody Harrelson coming off of being on Cheers, where he's this, as we said, this dumb-witted, you know, barback who is easily uh, manipulated into giving away free alcohol to the patrons of the Cheers restaurant. Forgive my lack of research, but I'm sure... Didn't Woody Harrelson's dad get put in jail for murder? He killed a federal judge and went to prison for it. Yes, you are correct. That is exactly what happened. In fact, Charles Harrelson was an American hitman and organized crime figure who was convicted of assassinating federal judge John H. Wood Jr., the first federal judge to be assassinated in the 20th century. Right. So I remember I remember reading that, and I remember Oliver Stone saying something along the lines of, you look at Woody Harrelson and you can see there's something in there. There's something behind those eyes. Oh, there definitely is. Because he was the lovable guy from Cheers, wasn't he? Absolutely. Just a kind, not a bozo, just a lovable kind of yeah. simple person. Simple, simple Jack. He was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just remember Oliver Stone saying, there's something behind that guy's eyes that made me know he was the guy for this role. And that will do it for this month's Bible study. I would once again like to thank my special guest, Steve Smith of the Way Past School Podcast for joining me this month. Now, be sure to tune in March 27th as Steve will once again join me, but this time for our very special Quentin Tarantino birthday celebration episode. Together, we will be pitching QT, three project ideas we have for his last film. Now, you can find the link to Steve's podcast and his socials in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following all of our socials, which can also be found in the show notes as well. So until our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino, birthday. This has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.